Lovely to see you all this morning. My name is Gabe Phillips and a huge privilege to welcome you to the start of our brand new preaching series through the book of Exodus called Move Again. And we're so excited about this. And today we're going to be covering at breakneck speed, people. So strap yourselves in Exodus chapter 1 all the way through chapter 4. And to kick us off, we're in chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. will appear on the screen. Our hinge verse today says this. The Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, I thank you by your spirit's power, would you mend broken hearts? I thank you, God, would you remold and reshape battered and bruised hearts? And I thank you, ultimately, God, would you move all of our hearts from where we are to where you would have us to be. I thank you, Father God, you are on the move again. And as you move, we, your people, choose to move with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The book of Exodus, this incredible book, this incredible narrative from the Bible to us is this incredible gift for a couple of reasons. Number one, not just, it's something that happened historically true, it's a fact, it is a narrative that, that happened, but also for us here today, it's a story that happens. This is the narrative of the people of God. Not just a nation that once was, but us here today in this room, watching online, wherever we find ourselves. Secondly, this is not just Israel's story. This is our story. This is our story as the people of God. The story of God redeeming His people out of slavery, taking them on a journey and into the promised land. I want to deposit a phrase deep in our hearts today that I believe will become something of an anchor point for our lives if we get it, if we truly, truly get it. And this is the phrase, God's deliverance, God's deliverance always, always, always overcomes man's depravity and disobedience. It's so true, I need to say it again. Man's deliverance always overcomes, sorry, God's deliverance. It's testing you. You're all awake. Good. God's deliverance always overcomes man's depravity and disobedience. You see, the narrative of Exodus, the second book out of the first five books, it's a story of a nation, a family. It's a, it's a journey of God redeeming His people. And this family starts with not this mighty nation in Egypt. We have to rewind to the first movie called Genesis. And in Genesis, we find this family of uh, three figures in particular called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham was this man who would become the father of the Jewish faith. But when we meet him in Genesis chapter 12, he's anything but a father in any shape or form. Biologically, he and his wife cannot fall pregnant. They're very well advanced in age. The Bible even describes them in the New Testament as being as good as dead. And it's at that juncture that God comes, reveals to him that he wants to put a promise in Abraham's heart saying that he'll be a father of many nations, having descendants as more numerous than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. And in that moment, Abraham responds in faith and has a child named Isaac, a child of promise. And Isaac is a man who grows up as a result of Abraham believing God. And Isaac has two children of his own, Esau and Jacob, twins. Esau, the eldest, who should have been the direct lineage of Abraham and Isaac. But Jacob is a con artist. He's a trickster, a fraudster. And if he had a Netflix show, it might be called the Tinder Swindler. 
He was that guy who was just able to make a plan and then he was a hustler and he actually managed to hustle his way and supersede his brother and get the blessing of God and the direct lineage of this family. So it became Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob though runs in his depravity, in his disobedience, in his arrogance, is hiding from his brother, running from consequences, spends most of his life hightailing it away from God. But it's in the wilderness that God meets him and we find that God's, God's deliverance superseding man's depravity and disobedience. As God meets Jacob on the run and says, Jacob, I'm sending you back, but not as the same man. I'm giving you a new name called Israel, and you're going to become a father of a nation. And they, this man, Jacob, Israel, then has children. He has 12 sons, one of whom is Joseph, and the brothers don't like Joseph, so they betray him and they sell him into slavery. And again, we see man's depravity and disobedience on full show. But, but the good news, again, I say to you, is God's deliverance always supersedes man's depravity and disobedience. As Genesis 50, as they sell Joseph into slavery into Egypt, Genesis 50, the last chapter of Genesis, ends with this declaration. What man planned for evil, God had already intended for good. And the incredible story as Joseph is the conduit of God's blessing for people in famine and the family of Jacob and Israel, that whole family come and they live in Egypt, they find safe passage there, they find friendly faces, they find food and they start to thrive as a nation. But that's where we pick up the Exodus story. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 6 to 11, it says this, in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. Oh, how things have turned very quickly. People who were friendly to them all of, all of a sudden enslaved them. And as I said at the beginning, this is not just something that happened. It's something that happens. This is the narrative of humanity, the nation of Israel in this story, enslaved for 430 years, and their identity becomes one of slaves rather than the intended people of God. And that's our narrative. That's the narrative of humanity. So much so that in the 1800s, I've stumbled upon on, on the good old internet a copy of the Negro Slave Bible. And in the 1800s, white slave owners would give to their black slaves a copy of this edited version of the Bible. And what, how they would edit it was they wanted their, their, their slaves to be Christian. They just didn't want them to be free. So what they would do is they would, they would take a pair of scissors and they would cut out any portion of the scripture of the text that might incite or inflame a desire for freedom in the people. So much so, the book of Exodus in the Negro Slave Bible is devoid and is missing Exodus 1 through 18, which is the story of Israel finding her freedom. And it only starts in chapter 19 at the foot of the Mount Sinai where the law and the Ten Commandments are given. Why? Because they wanted them Christian, but just not free. And isn't that just the same today, what the enemy does in our lives? He's okay with us playing Christian game, religious game, pitching up a church, but leaving unchanged, un, un, unaffected by the gospel, leaving with the same, same sin, the same shame, the same bondage, doing the game of Christianity, but not being free. 
That's why we're preaching the series, because the cry of the gospel is whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And the enemy, was, is, he wants to keep you chained to your past, chained to your brokenness, chained to your sin, and he's ripped out the hope of true freedom. But I'm here today to tell you, the God of the Exodus is on the move again. And he wants to set his people free. Say it again, God's deliverance always, always overcomes man's depravity and disobedience. Three things from this text today that we want to lean into. Number one is that God's deliverance overcomes man's wickedness. Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 to 17 reads as follows. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. Great names for children, if you're looking. But this was the edict he gave. When you help the Hebrew woman as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. We see this narrative spin out of control in a matter of moments, where the wickedness at a personal level descends to a wickedness at a political level. And we see these words such as slavery and genocide. And it should give us an audible shock. We should be shocked that this is the text and the narrative of the people of God. But I tell you today, that what I love about the Bible is that the Bible, and in particular the story of the Exodus, is no neat and tidy narrative. This is, not, this is a very grimy book. This is a book full of wickedness, full of betrayal, full of sin, full of brokenness. And this is so encouraging for me because I, I, I love the fact that the Bible is not a book about how good people get blessed. The Bible is about how bad people can get blessed despite their badness. This is the goodness of the gospel that actually Homer Simpson once said notoriously as he flicked through the Bible in an episode of The Simpsons. He said, there's no one good in this book except that one guy. And at that moment, we also say, amen, Homer Simpson. Get that man a pulpit because that is great preaching. There is no good person in the Bible and there's no good person in this room except that one guy named Jesus. And that's our hope and that's our joy and that's our declaration of faith. But I love the fact when we see and understand this narrative of this, not just something that happened, but that something that happens, it should also settle our heart in the face of all the unsettling in the world. Russia invade Ukraine and the world falls apart in moments, and rightly so. Racial injustice, looting and rioting and corruption, COVID craziness. But for us as Christ follows in this world, we should take heart that actually God has seen this before. And God has acted before, and God is a God of deliverance who always supersedes man's wickedness time and time again. He's still a God who sees. He's still a God who hears. He's still a God who remembers, and He will act. And what I love about this text, it says the more that the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites, the more they multiplied and spread. That just doesn't seem to be logic for, on, on a, on a numeric, numerical level. The more they were oppressed, the more they had this robust nature to spread. And it reminds me to remind us as the people of God that you and I were made for this day and this day was made for us. 
This is not just by some cosmic accident that you are here. In 2022, with all the craziness of the pandemic, with, the, with pornography so more accessible than ever before, with uh, perversions en masse, and, we just, and, and, and a political craziness that we never thought we would see, and we just want to put our heads in the sand and say, why God, why? Let me tell you, God looked at 2022 and said, I don't need the Apostle Paul. I don't need Moses. I don't need Charles Spurgeon or Martin Luther. I need these people. And in His great mercy, He's placed you and I in this day, for this day, and for us to shine for His glory. I love the fact that God's deliverance always overcomes man's depravity. Egypt rose and smashed its fist on the people of God, but then Egypt fell. Babylon rose and imprisoned the people of God, but Babylon fell. Rome rose and came against the people of God, but then Rome was reduced to rubble. ISIS rose and ISIS fell, and again and again, every oppressor rises and tries to silence and subdue and crush the people of God, but the people of God remain. The church of Jesus Christ is still here, and the Bible declares the gates of hell will not prevail against her. This is our courage. This is our joy, and and I love the fact that in face of great adversity, the people of God were made to thrive, to thrive. Pharaoh takes it one step further, though, and he gives the edict, kill all the baby boys. A genocide on mass. But I love the narrative when he says they kill all the baby boys, but come, leave, the, leave all the girls, they can live. Why? Because in that culture, women were seen lower than even cattle. They were disregarded, there were no political threats, they brought no power to, to the table, so actually they're just a nuisance, but they can be on the side, and they can be used for our, for our enjoyment, for our entertainment, for our pleasure, but actually they can be spared because we'll use them to our ends. They're disregarded. But I love that God uses that which looks weak and feeble in the eyes of the world to undermine the plans of evil. So much so that Egypt, one of the greatest nations of all time, was brought to its knees by five women who were disregarded as lower than cattle. Two midwives, Moses' mom, Moses' uh, Moses' sister, and Pharaoh's daughter herself brought a whole nation to its knees. Don't disregard what God has put in front of you. Don't disregard what God has put inside of you. These are the days we're made for. These were the days we live for. And I love the fact that Moses becomes a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. And Moses himself is placed in a basket. And Pharaoh's daughter takes him into Pharaoh's own home, into the, right into the heart of the enemy camp. And the Hebrew deliverer is sent into the very heart of the enemy's camp and is dressed up like an Egyptian and lives like an Egyptian. And the deliverance comes from that place, just like Jesus would come later on. As Jesus himself takes steps out of heaven and as our deliverer steps into our humanity, into our wickedness, and puts on our clothes. And and looks like us, dresses like us, but deliverance comes through that moment. It's not just something that happened. This is something that happens, people. And I want to tell you today, the God of the Exodus is on the move again. He's on the move again, setting his people free. Secondly, today, God's deliverance overcomes man's wandering. Chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 11 to 15, reads as follows. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. 
And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. What is remarkable is chapter one, basically, of Exodus is 40 years of Moses living in the prince as a palace, uh, in the palace as a prince. Say that five times fast. The first chapter is 40 years of Moses living as a prince in the palace of Egypt. Chapter two, basically, in Midian, in, in, the, in the desert far flung away from any political power or clout, is another 40 years of Moses. 80 years takes place in two chapters. You think I'm going fast through the sermon? Just watch the Bible. It goes through the years very quickly. 80 years happen in two chapters. But I, I love the fact that 40 years of Moses' life is spent in a backwater town, a place on the edge of nowhere, a place that's so disregarded, a place that's so far away, being a shepherd for his father-in-law, a land called Midian. 40 years of Moses feeling so far away from any political power or any ability to change anything. 40 years of being unseen. 40 years of being unheard. 40 years of not being remembered by anyone else. 40 years in the wilderness, just wandering about. And maybe that would be the description of how your life is feeling at the moment. Maybe it feels like for you, you're just working in a dead end job. Nine to five, what a way to make a living. Or as Rihanna once said, work, 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 work. <laughs> but it just feels like our, our lives just work, 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 work. Or maybe you are, you're just in the monotony of packing lunches night after night after night. Maybe you're a single mom just trying to make it through each month and you get to this month and you did it. You, you managed to balance the budget this month, but then another month's on you with more bills and another thing to happen to the car. And you're like, when is this procession gonna end? It just seems like I'm just trying to keep my head above water and let alone freedom and finding more. I just, how am I gonna survive? Maybe you're depressed and, and maybe you've had the same diagnosis from the doctor and you've prayed prayers, you've come to the front and nothing seems to have changed. And it just feels like, I'm in a season where nothing seems to be moving forward. I love the fact that Moses' world is interrupted by a revelation of who God is. Yeah. Not when he was in the palace, but when he was in the wilderness, yeah. far away from the action. This is the good news for you and I today, that when it feels like nothing good is happening, when it feels like we're just going through the motions, when we're having to dig deep in the detours, in the delays, in the disappointments of our lives, God of the Exodus is at work. A few years ago, my friend Wayne and I had to travel up to Joburg together, and this is in the height of the COVID craziness, and we sat on the plane, and as we sat down in 12C and 12D, I started to do quick maths, and I realized that there was more people on the plane than seats available. A bit of chaos was happening, and people, emotions were running high, and we were seated in 12C and 12D, and a guy comes up to me with, with anger and resentment in his eyes. He was much bigger than me, and he intimidated me by leaning over and saying, you're in my seat. Who am I to disagree with him? So I started packing up my things very quickly. I'm so sorry, sir. I just apologize, unbuckling. I'm, I'm, I apologize, sir. Just, I, I just, it must be a mistake. But not Wayne Barthas next to me. Wayne Barthas was cool, calm, and collected. He got his ticket out and he said, sorry, buddy. And it says, Gabe Phillips, Wayne Barthas, 12C, 12D. He said, these are our seats. I don't know where you're going to sit, but we're not getting up. Wayne, headphones back on, seat reclined, <laughs> eyes closed. And I'm like, I'm with him. Move along. <laughs> Let me tell you, in moments when we feel pressure, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel forgotten, when we feel we're just going through the motions, trying to keep our heads above water, and we feel like, where's life going? And we're praying prayers, and they're not seeming to be responded. The enemy in that moment wants to come and unseat us. Yeah. 
He wants to unseat us from where God wants to take us. He wants to say, no, sorry, this is not your seat. This is not your journey. This is not your story. Maybe for somebody else, but not for you. But God says, no, 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 no. No matter what happens, no matter whether the CVs aren't replied to, no matter what people say about you, no matter what is happening in your situation, your season right now, I want to tell you the Bible is clear. You and I are seated in heavenly places and nothing can unseat us. We have to get this robust notion in our hearts, the reminder that God sees, God hears, and God remembers His covenant. He remembers His covenant so much so that God will choose to forget our sins, but He will never forget His promises. That right there, it should be on our Twitter and LinkedIn bio. God forgets our sins, but He never forgets His promises. And that's the courage for you and I today when I tell you today the God of Exodus is here, and here's the greatest news. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten you. He sees. He hears. And he remembers. He says, I've come to act. Thirdly and finally today, God's deliverance overcomes our weakness. Moses encounters a bush that is burning but not being consumed. And Exodus 3 verse 4, it reads as follows. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look at the burning bush, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt and into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look! The cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I can imagine Moses hearing this almost sermon from God to his heart in this moment, this moment where God starts to speak and download his heart to Moses. I can imagine Moses watching this in the desert and, he's, and he hears, I have seen, I have heard, I have remembered, and I'm coming down. I'm gonna set my people free from Egypt and deliver them into their own land. Moses becomes charismatic all of a sudden. He is standing up and he's going, amen. Yes, God. Yes, God. Woo, preach it, God. Woo, woo, woo. Yes, 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 yes. And then God says, and Moses, I'm sending you. Moses goes, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> For those under the age of 40, that's in the reels at the moment. So anyway, carry on, carry on, Gab. But all of a sudden, Moses is like, count me out. Just count me from this moment. He suddenly, all of a sudden says to him, who am I to go before Pharaoh? And all of a sudden, he becomes very aware of his disqualifications. You see, when God wants to bring freedom to you and wants to bring freedom through you, the enemy will always bring up where you fall short and why you should be disqualified from this moment and this task. We'll say things like, I'm uneducated. I don't have the resources. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the track record. I fall into the same sin time and time again. I don't have the energy. I don't have the emotional capacity. And you'll say all this. and, And I love as Moses lays his heart bare before God. I cannot do this. God doesn't meet him with a pep talk. He doesn't say, come here, Moses, come here, boy. 
you can do it. You're the head and not the tail. Moses, you're above and not beneath. Moses, you are fearfully and wonderfully. He doesn't even start talking to Moses' insecurities in this moment. What God does in this text is God doesn't even give him a gladiator type speech. You and me, boy, we can do it. No, God says, yes and amen to your weakness. I hear your weakness, Moses, and I agree with it. He says, but here's the courage I'm giving you. Let me tell you who I am. And God, in this moment, for the first time in Scripture, discloses who He is to humanity. And He says, I am who I am. Which doesn't even make grammatical sense. But when you're God, the rules don't apply to you. I am who I am. Better translation, I will be who I'll be. Or even the best translation that I've come across is, I be who I be. Which is incredibly gangster. And I want, when I'm facing slavery, I want a God who says, I be who I be. Drop the mic. I'm with that God. He says, I be who I be. And he says, my name, this is your tell. Who has sent me? Yahweh. And that's the redemptive name of God. And for the first time in scripture, we're told the name of God, which signifies to us in that moment, he says, I'm not just a God out there, a God who's powerful. I'm also a God who's personal, who's with you. I am who I am. In your weakness, I am. Maybe you're here today and you're saying things like that. And like Moses, you'll say, I am weak. God says, yep but I am strong. Maybe say, I I am disqualified. I've fallen short. God says, yep, but I am deliverer. Maybe say, I'm I'm, I'm not enough. I I just don't have enough. Yeah, God says, yep, I am more than enough. This is who God reveals himself to Moses. And one more thing as we land, Moses says that God says this to Moses as he reminds him this narrative. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said this a few times and he keeps saying it and throughout scripture and then all the way into Jewish culture to this day, that's how they, they identify with God, a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. And this is an amazing moment. I can imagine if I was Moses, I'd hear this, I'd go, who's familiar with this narrative, would have gone, Abraham. Yeah, I like Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith. He's the patriarch. He's the one that though he was as good as dead, God did a miracle through him. He believed God. It was credited him to right as righteousness. He was a man that saw the city whose builder and architect was God. He was a man who left it all trust in God. Abraham, I love the God of Abraham. He says, the God of Isaac. Oh, I love Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise, the result of Abraham's faith. He believed God and the fruit of that was Isaac. Yes, I love Isaac because that's a promise. It shows me that God is a God who keeps his promises. And Isaac, yes, God of Isaac. Then he says, God of Jacob? God of Jacob? Oh, I don't know about Jacob. Jacob was a con artist, a trickster, a fraudster, a result of generational curse because he fraud, was fraudulent. Laban, his uncle was fraudulent. His mother was fraudulent. There were co-conspirators in, 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 in chaos. Jacob is nobody that I want to deal with. And it's so fascinating because actually up to this point when God reveals who he is to Moses, he should have said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel because Jacob had been renamed by this time. But God, in His wisdom and His mercy says, I want you to know that I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What does that mean? He says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, but I'm also the God of your wickedness. I'm the God in your wandering, and I'm the God over your weakness. I'm the God of the people who have gone to jail. 
I'm the God of people who've had abortions. I'm the God of people who've had kids out of wedlock. I'm the God of people who've reneged on their promises and left their spouse. I'm the God of people who caught in addictive spaces of drugs, of pornography, of alcohol. I'm the God of the people who've been cheating on their spouses. I'm the God of people who've been cheated against. I'm a God of the left out, the drop out, and the forgotten. I am the God of Jacob. And I'm your God. You think you're too far gone. You think that you're disqualified. You think you're too wicked. You're too far out in the wilderness. You think you're too weak. I want to tell you today, the God of the Exodus is on the move. Can we stand to our feet as we land this moment together? Say again, God's deliverance always overcomes my defaults my deficiencies, my disobedience. I thank you, Father, right now for us as a people. The God of the Exodus is on the move. And as you move, chains start to rattle. As you move, prison doors start to open up. As you move, seats are being taken. As people say, rightfully, I am seated in heavenly places. As you move, I thank you, Father God, that pages that were cut out of our lives, declaring freedom, are being reattached to our story. And say, I'm rewriting in your destiny that was rightfully yours, that has been stolen, I will restore it. That which has been forgotten, I will redeem it. Because I have heard, I have seen your plight, I have remembered my covenant, and I will act. I am a God who has forgotten your sins, but I'm a God who has remembered my promise.